pleased to bring you our feature presentation. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to the Standing Idly By podcast. I am Dermot Daisy O'Brien. And on this episode, I'm going to tell a story about someone who I discovered only very recently, to be honest. And the more I started exploring the story of this very, very inspirational woman, I started to wonder, is this the type of story where this is a character that everyone must know about and I just haven't come across yet? Because it's such an unbelievable story. It, it, there, there has to be people out there who already know this. And if not, I really hope that you're, if you're hearing it for the first time, that you get as inspired as I do. And I know we're coming up to International Women's Day, so maybe it's a, a appropriate in that regard as well. But I want to tell you about someone called Mary Harris. And she was born in Cork in the 1830s, the exact year not so nailed down shall we say, and we know she was baptised in 1837, but anyone who knows their Irish history will know that around that time we had on Gorta Moor, we had the Great Hunger in Ireland, and that caused a severe amount of distress for many, many families, um, and a lot of them had to make a big decision about starvation or find somewhere else to go. And Mary's family decided to make their way over to the United States, along with many, many other Irish families of the time. So if we even imagine for a 10 year old child, the upheaval involved in, in a move of that scale, not to even mention the perilous journey across the Atlantic in the so-called coffin ships of the time. So after a short stay in Chicago, Mary's family eventually moved to Canada where she managed to get some schooling and eventually got a job as a school teacher herself. Now, not very inspired by that line of work. And it is said that the environment within which she worked was pretty bleak. Um, and not notwithstanding the struggle that Mary had at the time, being an Irish migrant, being a Catholic, um, they presented their, their challenges as well at that time. So Mary... On the move again, ended up back across the border in the United States and eventually made her way to Memphis, where it is said on the eve of the Civil War, she married a man called George Jones, who was a, a union organiser in the local area. And there it was that Mary started to raise her own family. She had four kids in five years and was really settling down to a life um, a family life in Memphis and and unfortunately and it's something we can relate to very much uh, in the current climate around the world in 1867 there was a yellow fever epidemic in Memphis and tragically Mary lost her four kids and her husband and so for Mary this solid settled family life was left in ruins not content to, to stick around in Memphis where this tragedy took place, Mary got herself off to Chicago where she ended up getting into the dressmaking business. She was a seamstress, she had the skills and she opened up her own shop and, and was working away in, in Chicago until disaster struck again. And in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871, Mary's entire home, her business and all of her possessions were destroyed. So if we take a moment and think about Mary Harris-Jones, by the time she was the age that I am now, she had endured the Irish famine, upheaval of family, 
discrimination for migrant status, nationality, religion, loss of entire family, including four children under five years of age, more upheaval, starting life from scratch, and then loss of everything, home, business, possessions. And can I just tell you that only now do we begin the story really of the Mary Jones that did not stand idly by. So, Mary got involved in rebuilding Chicago and took an interest in workers' rights, which brought her into the world of unions. And the world of unions was also the world of strikes and the world of activism at that time. And eventually Jones found herself in the role of union organiser and found herself leading strikes, facing down strike breakers and militias, and at one point being described as the most dangerous woman in America for encouraging a minor strike in West Virginia. So Mary was getting stuck in, and here's the thing. Mary had a gift, a gift for charismatic storytelling, holding a crowd, and she brought notoriety everywhere she went. And, and throughout the time of, of moving from place to place, giving speeches, telling people that they should demand their rights, that they should do what they had to do, down tools so that you can get what you deserve. Don't come back to work until the, the work conditions are improved, the pay is improved. And along the way, Mary assumed this persona and she became known as Mother Jones. And that added to her prominence. And one of the standout stories for me, looking through all the archives um, from her activism, and obviously very much relates to the world that I work in, which is children and young people, but there was the Children's Crusade of 1903. And at the time, there were kids who were working in the mines, working in the mills, and not only were these kids being exploited, but many of them were getting injured, scarred, maimed, while working in these horrific conditions. And Mary decided to go to the local media because she wanted to publicise their plight so that change might happen. But it transpires that some mill owners held stock in the newspapers and they refused to give Mary uh, any, any, any local media attention at all. So there's a famous quote from Mary at the time and she said, Well, I've got stock in these little children and I'll arrange some publicity myself. So what did she do? She organised a march to the hometown of the then president, Theodore Roosevelt. And on that march, she had children and the banners at the time were saying things like, we want to go to school, not to the mines. So back like in 1903, Mother Jones is organising strikes in order to change the conditions the working conditions of exploited children. Now, now it, she was the president didn't let her in. The laws didn't change overnight. But it, but these are these moments where we kind of take up. We can plot a moment in time where people were involved in change that possibly at that time felt like it was a million years away, but it wasn't. And for Mary Jones, not standing idly by involved so many different things. It involved placing herself in dangerous scenarios. At the time it was there was fear amongst a lot of the ruling class that if 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 we lose our control over these workers, if we have to pay more wages, we have to let them work for different amount of hours that we really like them to work for, that's a threat to our profits. 
And Mother Jones represented a threat to those prophets. And yet she was putting herself in the thick of it at any opportunity. And for her, this was about workers' rights. This wasn't about profits. This was about confronting mine owners, confronting the, the ruling class of the time. And, and these people had private armies. They had corrupt officials. And more than once, Mary Jones found herself in court, in a jail cell, and even was declared on the Senate floor as the grandmother of all agitators. And so, all the way up to the latter years of her life, Mother Jones would present herself at the front of a picket line or in a gathering of people who had to make big decisions about downing tools or amongst the women, wives of, of miners in particular or wives of workers who were considering to go on strike and needed the support. And it was said that she didn't even have a fixed abode at that time, that she would just move from place to place wherever she was needed. And she became immortalized, and especially amongst the minor unions. And when she was when she died, they she's been immortalized in books, in plays, in songs, in spoken word. Her burial site was transformed um, by the miners' union. There are festivals named after her, plaques, and some even call Miners' Day, the eleventh of October, as Mother Jones' Day. And I suppose that what, what, what I've been thinking throughout the whole piece of work of looking into this incredible, incredible woman, it made me wonder about but it's modern activism, shall we say. And there's something about recognising, you know, for me, when I, when I look at this, like this is a unique human being and we should celebrate that. But we also need to recognise that it's not about saying, I wish I was Mother Jones. I should aspire to be Mother Jones. Because throughout the whole story, what I found myself thinking about was, I wonder who else was there. And throughout those traumatic and troublesome times, I wonder who stood with Mary. Who were her allies? When she had to leave Ireland during the famine, who was a, who supported them to get passage on a ship? When she was in Canada suffering discrimination as a teenager, who stood by her? Who supported her? Who was there to allow her to unpack her story or to get some support? In Memphis, you know, when the yellow fever struck, when her family were decimated, who was there? Who was picking up the pieces? Who was showing the compassion that was necessary at the time? When she lost everything in Chicago, who were her comrades? Where did she stay when her house was burned to the ground? Who joined her to help to rebuild the city? And there's something really powerful about the resilience that Mary Jones must have had. And I really, really believe, and this is what really fascinates me about the activism of today in particular, is that there's a role for all of us. And we all, it doesn't matter if we're not in the spotlight. Because I have no doubt whatsoever that those who are in the spotlight, who end up being the hero of certain stories, they, they weren't putting their hand up and demanding to, to have the spotlight on them. They were playing their role. And I really think that there were so many roles around them that are equally as important. And that if they were here today and you were to ask them, they would reference all the key people, all the key moments, even the random moments where fate looked kindly on them or how they overcame the struggle 
and the tough times. And even though stories aren't written about those other people, I really think that we can't underestimate the value and the significance of their contribution. And it's and I love the idea of even for myself, I, I you know going through all her stories. I'm thinking, Daisy, like what role would you have played in there? You know, which which in if you were there for any of those stages, and even if you can't imagine where you might have been back then, what role do you play now? And that's where I bring this full circle, is that when I look around me and I see people who are struggling and I see people who are suffering trauma and I see people who are devastated by circumstance, what role is Daisy willing to play in their lives? And that's about what capacity do I have? What skills do I have to offer? And where can I play a role that might just add a little a little chink, a little piece of a jigsaw that re- that may be the support that they required at that time so that they could continue on their journey. And I really think that that's important for all of us. We don't have to chase the limelight. We don't have to imagine that unless we're the hero of the story, it's not worth it. Even if you think of the change that Mary was striving for, right? And the reforms, the rights, the laws that, that have emerged over time that we enjoy today and are absolutely connected to those who played all the roles over time. Someone had to write legislation if they wanted change to happen. And I really think that, you know, across all of their levels from the man or the woman willing to put their family at risk by striking to those who drafted legislation at the time, to those that would ensure reforms would become law even after her death. And there's so, and again, that brings me full circle to today and it makes me wonder, is there still work to be done today? And I, I think the answer is absolutely. And, it, and both in Ireland and across the world, whether it be zero-hour contracts or child labour. And the question is, are we standing idly by or are we playing our role? Thanks for listening. After touch, beats, I want my life in between these ten paper wings. High times, trouble signs, these.